Welcome to the Monday Morning Message, uh, a podcast of Grace Community Church, uh, where we discuss the things that may not come up on a normal Sunday, uh, but we like to have this time together with our pastor. So I am Jared Cooper, an elder here at Grace Community Church, and I have with me Paul Shirley, pastor here at Grace Community Church. Why don't we talk a little bit about uh, salvation? Because uh, you talked about a little bit of that in our men's meeting, and I think it's helpful for us to understand that. And I want to talk about specifically maybe the, the, uh, the conversion. Uh, so what does it look like? Uh, or maybe could you give us a definition of what conversion is? Well, obviously, just to your point on the importance of salvation, this is an issue that we want to make um, front and center in our thinking as Christians. Uh, doctrine of salvation, obviously, it uh, results in eternal life for us. Um, our salvation takes place through the power of, of Christ's work on our behalf. Salvation is not just a beginning point for the Christian life, but salvation is the definition of the Christian life. So uh, as we think about our responsibility as Christian men, as Christian women, as elders or a pastor over a church or a Sunday school teacher, whatever whatever place that the Lord providentially has you in, uh, salvation and the doctrine of salvation uh, continues to play an important role in who you are and how you can be most useful to the Lord. And I, I think one of the uh, key parts to that is what you're hitting on with the question is the doctrine of conversion. So I remember having the opportunity to interact with some high schoolers on this issue, and uh, one of the high schoolers asked me a question, why, why I was even talking about conversion. I said, well, uh, you have to be converted. You have to be uh, transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have to go from a unsaved person under the wrath of God to a saved person in order to be right with God. And this young person regurgitating what they had been taught said, I don't need to be converted. I was born in the church, baptized in the church, so I don't need to be converted to be saved. Uh, So it is important for us to think about the doctrine of conversion. Uh, We have to recognize the necessity of conversion because we're all born sinners. Uh, We can't be born into a saved family. Uh, We can't be inherently saved as soon as we're born. Uh, So we all need conversion because of the sin that separates us from God. And from a human perspective, what that conversion looks like is repenting and believing. On the repentance side, it's a denial of our own self-trust and self-righteousness. I recognize that I cannot trust myself to save myself. And I recognize that my righteousness cannot earn me anything before a holy God. And so I turn away from that self-trust, that self-righteousness, and also the self-will that is determined to live a life of sin and rebellion to God. I, I turn from those things and turn to the Lord in faith. And that faith, that belief Uh, is a humble submission to the truth of who God is and what he's promised in the gospel, Uh, mainly that Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, came into this world and lived a life of perfection. He died a death of uh, perfection, a a perfectly atoning death on the cross, and he was raised from the dead uh, for the justification of my soul. And so, From a human perspective, that conversion takes place when, by God's grace, I'm able to repent from my sins and turn to the Lord and trust who He is and what He's done for my salvation. 
uh, which obviously is an important starting place in the Christian life. So uh, along those lines, you, you touched on repentance, obviously part of conversion. We see repentance in that, right? I mean, the Lord uh, calls us and in that effectual call, he, he grants us repentance. Uh, as we look at folks, uh, maybe even as people come in, into the church or into our church, uh, how much are we looking for in, in the idea of conversion? What, are, what, is, what specific things are we looking for to say, hey, here's a person who's a believer, who's repentant, whose repentance is genuine, who, who we're seeing these fruits? Because we're even thinking about new members coming in. How are you evaluating that and, and what's maybe even appropriate or inappropriate? Yeah, that's a really important question for shepherding and even for examining your own heart. And really, uh, that that moves from the the necessity and the nature of conversion uh, really into the issue of assurance. How, how can I know that I am a converted person? And when it comes to the assurance that you are, in fact, converted by the gospel, uh, I think back to what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees. Now, these were individuals who were hypocrites. These were individuals trusting in their own righteousness. Uh, we know this because these are the kind of individuals that rejected Christ when he followed the ministry of John the Baptist, and yet they came out to John the Baptist to be baptized with a baptism of repentance. Now, their motive was uh, to appease the crowds and essentially to look good in front of other people. And John, being a discerning shepherd, a prophet of the Lord, recognized that. And he said something very interesting to them. He said that before they were baptized, and I'm paraphrasing, that they needed to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, Now, it's important that we understand John didn't say, well, look, if you want to be baptized into repentance, you need to be perfect and sinless. That's not what he said. But he did say that, that there needs to be some kind of evidence. That's what a fruit is. It's, it's, it's a verifiable evidence in your life that you have indeed changed your allegiance from yourself to the Lord. And similar principles at play in all of our lives as well. We want to be looking in our lives for fruit. And sometimes that fruit is in the form of new buds, new spiritual buds of fruit that arise after our conversion. Sometimes there's mature fruit there. Uh, sometimes the fruit isn't grown to the maturity that we would like, but yet we still see it's there, and it's an evidence of God's grace in our lives. Um, not too long ago, I was talking with an individual uh, through some of these things, and uh, they were trying to identify when the Lord had converted them. And, and, and my counsel to them is the most important thing is whether or not you're converted now, not necessarily when you're converted. But we were talking about some of these things, and and for all their life, they would look back and say, look, I was converted when I was a preteen, and that's when I was baptized. Um, but then I walked away from the Lord. I was living a life of overt sin uh, that was life-consuming. I wasn't in the church, wasn't in the scriptures, had no thoughts of God. And it wasn't until within the last few years uh, that I began to see my need for the truth that in this person's description of it, that the Lord really opened my eyes to the gospel in a new way, and I began to see changes in the way I let, live because of that. Well, I would say, well, there you go. You got fruits of repentance right there. Um, so those are the kind of things that you're looking for, not a perfected life, but certainly the kind of evidence that would give you assurance that indeed the allegiance of your heart 
has been transferred from yourself to the Savior. Now, is it appropriate for us as believers to to look for that fruit? Well, insofar as we have opportunities to disciple and shepherd others, we should. So uh, duties of an elder, especially when it comes to affirming members in a church, require that we examine someone's profession of faith. That's for the protection of the church because we don't want to affirm unbelievers into the church to influence the body. And it's also for the protection of the specific individual because the very worst thing that could happen to a person in this life is to have false assurance, to think you're saved and then end up after you die, you realize that you never truly were saved. That's the worst thing that could happen to anybody. And so as shepherds, it is appropriate and loving uh, to to help someone examine their life for those things. Um, It's often said that we shouldn't be fruit inspectors. I hear people say that all the time. And if what they mean by that is we shouldn't be pridefully judging every uh, uh, single thing that a person does and ascribing motives for their heart, then I agree with that. However, Jesus does make statements like, you will know them by their fruit. So there is a sense in which we should be looking at the conduct of somebody's life. Now, we should do it in such a way that's motivated by love for them. If you're discipling somebody and you see concerns in their life, you don't want to see them languish in that sin. And at the same time, the way we look at somebody else's life should be motivated by humility. Love thinks the best of somebody and is humble enough to say, you know, I don't know everything that's going on in that person's life. And, and, and so we can overlook what we perceive to be offenses uh, in grace in that person's life. So, yeah, it's appropriate for us all to help one another see blind spots and evaluate fruit in our life. But we also need to make sure that um, that, that is tempered with uh, love and humility in our own hearts. And, and the desire in those things is for the protection of the church and the good of the individual that we're interacting with. Um, certainly, it's easy, like the Pharisees, to look at others and try to tear others down so you feel better about yourself spiritually, but that is not of spiritual benefit to anyone, especially yourself. So you would say the the danger of being a quote-unquote fruit inspector Really, it's the pride in the individual who's inspecting that fruit. We could say that they could come at it with a prideful attitude, and then you're not accomplishing the reason the Lord gave us the commands to make sure that there's uh, a genuine conversion there. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, I see this a lot, especially in marriage counseling, where you have one individual who who feels like they're more spiritually mature than their spouse, and they're dealing with issues, and almost— uh, well, frequently, I'll put it that way, uh, that the, the one individual who, who sees themselves as more mature, maybe they are more, more mature, they're pretty quick to run to, well, maybe my spouse isn't a believer at all. And, and I just always caution, hey, if you want to have a good conversation with your spouse about some differences that you're having or some issues that, that, you, that you see in their life, uh, you probably don't want to start with, well, I don't think you're a believer, so let's start there. That's that's a good way to end the conversation. Right. Uh, so we want to be very careful when we're having these conversations. And again, we're we're thinking about the good of the other person. So so we're commanded as believers to speak the truth in love. So what we have, what we say has to be rooted in God's truth. It has to be accurate. But then also it has to be motivated by the eternal good of the person that we're speaking to. That's what love is. Love is not some kind of 
ooey-gooey feeling. It's preferring someone else above yourself. So in the way I communicate truth, I'm trying to prefer someone else and their spiritual good above my own comfort. So I'm going to have a hard conversation with somebody, not because I enjoy it, I don't, but because it would be to their spiritual benefit if they would see what I'm seeing. So that's the mentality that needs to go into these conversations. And I think even bringing it back to the issue of conversion, when we're in a church with somebody who's a member of the church, especially, it makes it easy for us to say, you know what, I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to treat them as a believer because they've been affirmed publicly as believers within the church. So we're going to interact on this issue as believers, and that's a good starting place. And then even when you're when you're seeing immaturities in somebody else's life, uh, I usually try to do a few things before I go to the person to address those issues. Uh, one, I, I try to get clarity in my own mind on what the issue is. Maybe I think there's one problem when in reality, I just don't have all the information. So I want to make sure that I have all the information and that I have clarity on what's going on. Then I also want to not keep an account of wrongs committed. That would be a violation of 1 Corinthians 13. But I do want to be prepared to give this individual at least one concrete example of why I have concerns. Uh, vagueness doesn't help. Uh, and then the, the third thing that I'm trying to do as I go into a conversation with somebody on this issue is... I try to not only have clarity on what the problem is, but I try to gain from Scripture some clarity on how that problem can then be dealt with. So, so I want to help a person see, look, I think this is an issue in your life. Here are some reasons why I think this is an issue. And here is the solution that Scripture provides to that problem. Now, I love you enough to say it, and I love you enough that I want to help you walk through that. So, I mention all of that because uh, it's important for us. We do have a responsibility to examine fruit in our own life and also to observe it in other people's life. We see that in Scripture. But the way in which we do that needs to be rooted in in uh, love, humility, and just enough wisdom to be helpful. Because it's really easy to observe that people are immature because we're all immature at various levels. So it's very easy to find immaturities but what's really helpful is when the church, through discipleship and shepherding, can mutually address our immaturities in the way that brings honor to the Lord and also in a way that helps us to mature in the Lord. And again, coming back to the issue of conversion, that's what converted people do. I mean, if you're open to that process and open to other people speaking into your life at that level— that's a significant fruit that leads to assurance and of salvation in and of itself. You touched on this a little bit, so I want to dive in a little deeper on that uh, the idea of assurance, because uh, I, I think you see people come and 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 sometimes they doubt their salvation, whether they're genuinely converted. What do you think some main reasons uh, for a lack of assurance are in a believer's life? One thing that's going to rob you of assurance if you're struggling with assurance provisions for the flesh and cultivating a love for sin in your life, that's going to rob you of assurance. And I see this all the time. One of the more common areas where I see this in counseling and discipleship is with young men who have kind of made a train wreck of their purity on the internet. And then they come and they not only have that issue that they don't have any victory over, but as a result of no victory, 
they also are questioning their salvation. And when you have no power over sin, it rightly leads you to have questions about, do I have the power of the Spirit in my life? And so one of the ways that you can um, uh, uh, in your assurance is to, by God's grace and through, through faith, uh, you can seek to pursue godliness. In fact, this is exactly what Peter was talking about. Uh, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, so that's that area of conversion. Okay, God, through his grace, has granted us what we need so that we can have genuine spiritual life, so that we can be a sanctified people, cultivating godliness, that we can be saved out of all these things. And then because of this converting grace, Peter goes on in verse 5 to say, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, now just Notice what he says. He doesn't say that in order to be converted, you have to supplement your faith. He's saying that as a converted person, these are the things that you want to cultivate in your life. So supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. And so you're cultivating these things in your life in such a way that your character is maturing and your spiritual usefulness, which is another way of saying spiritual fruit, is increasing. And then Peter adds this, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, if you want to have deeper, fuller assurance, then pursue Christ-likeness. And if you're growing in conformity to Christ, that is a sure evidence of his grace in your life, because the only way you could be sanctified and made holy is through the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, so the issue of obedience and victory over sin is significant with respect to assurance. A second common area that affects people's assurance is the depth of their knowledge of the truth. I think there are so many believers that have doubts, whether it's about their assurance or some other area of the Christian life, because they just don't know that many of the promises of God. They, they don't have a lot of promises to hold on to. And so they know some of the basic pro, uh, promises and truths about conversion. I need to repent and believe in Christ to be saved. But beyond that, they haven't fed their soul with the deep truths of God. And as a result of their shallow theology, they're going to struggle with deep faith in specific situations in life. I know, for instance, I've seen a lot of believers before that struggle with assurance because of the circumstances in their life. They look at their circumstances and say, man, if I was really a child of God, I wouldn't be going through this difficulty. I wouldn't be facing this trial. I wouldn't have cancer. I wouldn't have a bad boss. I wouldn't have family members that dislike me. 
these things wouldn't be happening to me if I'm a child of God. Maybe I'm not a true child of God. Well, that's just bad theology. The, the scriptures are clear that these are the kind of trials that Christians are going to face all the time. And the Lord has given us specific promises to get us through those trials. So oftentimes we as believers can struggle with assurance and have doubts about our own salvation simply because our knowledge of God's word and our knowledge of his promises is superficial. Let's camp on that for a second because how important is a knowledge of the scripture? How how much is that linked together with faith? Well, yeah, I mean, faith, Faith is a response to truth. You, you, if, if, if you're going to grow in faith and, and then as a result of your growth in faith, deepen your assurance, that has to be based in the truth. Uh, when you think about it, repentance is a response to truth. Truth that comes into your life and you recognize your error and you turn to the truth. Faith is a response to truth. You hear the promises of God. You hear the truth of God. You hear the commands of God and, and you understand them. You accept that you're, they are true, and then you entrust yourself to that truth. That's the nature of faith. And so if, if you don't know what you believe, then you don't believe. You have to have truth to grow in that faith. And, and so the more that you are submitting yourself to the truth, the more that you're growing in faith, the deeper your understanding of conversion and all that goes into that is— then the stronger your assurance is going to become of your own salvation and your own experience of conversion. So many times I think that's the disconnect there. People say, well, I, I don't have enough faith or maybe my faith is weak. Well, that link between faith and truth is so important because faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Well, it comes by truth, right? So we right. need to understand that our growth and sanctification, our growth in faith is so linked to truth. Yeah, that's, that's the key. And I think uh, the approach to Scripture that most believers uh, take is what leads to anemic faith. Uh, when you're not, when you're not feasting on the meat of God's Word appropriately, then you're not going to have the spiritual nutrients that you need to survive what is what the Apostle Paul describes as a battle, the battle of the Christian life. You need to be feasting on God's Word, and I think. So often you have a number of different approaches to the scripture that that short circuit that process of growth in faith. Uh, one is it's just a prideful approach to scripture. I'm reading the scripture to 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 increase my knowledge so that I can be right when I debate others. And of course, when we approach the truth in pride, it's not going to grow our faith. We have to be humble before the word. Uh, I think another I alluded to it is a superficial approach to the truth, just kind of skimming through and picking out some major themes which are good insofar as they go, but they don't really get to the depth of something. Um, and, and then I think another approach to Scripture that's unhelpful is, is a kind of a subset of superficial, and that is this legalistic idea. If I just read my Bible every day, I'll be good. It doesn't matter what I read or if I understand it or if I then go to, to live my life according. If I just read my Bible every day, I can check that off the list, and, and then I won't feel guilty about it. That's not helpful. A lot of times, all of us fall into the trap of reading and studying Scripture without taking the time to meditate on Scripture. And, and what I mean by that is we don't think deeply about what we're reading and the implications that it has for life. We don't think, okay, 
how does what I'm reading in Second Peter chapter two impact my performance at work? How am I cultivating virtue as an employee? What does that look like? What would the Lord have for me? We're not thinking through the deep implications of these things. And then not only that, sometimes we do think through the implications, but we limit it to external implications. How does this affect the kind of employee I am? That's great. But I think we need to do the work of going even deeper to that to say, what are the inner man implications for this? How does this impact my heart? What about the, what about the thoughts that I'm cultivating? What about the desires that I have? Uh, how does this affect those so that the truth becomes the meditation of our hearts? Uh, not just a superficial study that we've said that we've done, but, but it begins to permeate all of our thinking so that we can make the connection between the wisdom of God's truth and the application that's required of it in all of our life. I think that's so helpful, and I think that's uh, that's that's probably a huge disconnect you see in a lot of believers' lives, where they they neglect the means of grace the Lord's given us in His truth, and and they wonder why they struggle with weak faith. <laughs> right, and it's 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 such a it's such a helpful thing to be reminded that man, truth and truth and faith are linked together. Yeah, I've I've had uh, on that point, I've had a number of conversations with believers, and look, I've seen this in my own life as well. Absolutely, where Absolutely. it's like, do you know what God's word says about that? Uh. No, I don't. Okay, well, let, let, let's start with that. Yeah. Because uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of, of well-intentioned but misguided and self-deceived believers out there who, who genuinely but superficially want to please the Lord, but they're not going to Scripture to say, okay, what particularly is pleasing to the Lord? What do I need to believe? What do I need to obey? How do I need to live my life? How do I need to organize my thoughts in such a way that pleases the Lord? So, so instead of going and finding objective truth and principles by which they can live, uh, truths that they can believe, instead, that they're kind of using a spiritual Ouija board to say, okay, what's God's will for my life, that I do this or do that? And, and in the process, they're neglecting the the very promises that the Lord has provided in his word. And, you know, Again, we started talking about conversion. We're talking about assurance, and that leads us to a conversation about truth. And there's a reason for that. Our conversion, which is rooted in God's truth, uh, um, it leads to a, a, a life as a believer that increasingly is built upon God's truth. We're trying to take every thought captive to Christ. How do you do that? By continually understanding, believing, and obeying what God's Word says. I want to talk about sanctification for a little bit, too. Maybe talk about the importance of sanctification or or maybe why you think it's so important to spend so much time discussing sanctification and what that means and what that looks like for the believer. Right. So when we're talking about sanctification, and in particular, we're talking right now about progressive sanctification. It's that process by which God in His grace is conforming us to the image of Christ's holiness as we grow in faith. That's what we're talking about in sanctification. And I think it's immensely important for us as believers to be well-versed on the subject of sanctification because sanctification is our whole life. I mean, we're, we, we are living out this doctrine right now. 
it's important for us to understand what the scriptures teach on this issue. I think it's also important in our day to devote extra thought to this issue of sanctification because there's so much lousy thinking and teaching on sanctification. I mean, you've got vague platitudes like let go and let God, which nobody knows what it means, but it sounds nice. So it, you know, okay, great. I remember, I remember being told that as a, as a teenager in youth group. And I was like, man, that is so profound. And then I went home and I was like, okay, how do I, how do I live this out? And I realized you can't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. So you got all kinds of platitudes out there that sound gospel-y and they're similar to the Bible, but they really don't hit on the depth of God's word. The idea is that you can be just passive in your Christian life, and that's all you have to do. You can be passive. Don't really try. And, of course, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. So either let go and let God is a vague platitude, or it is that's unhelpful, or it is a, a, a really dangerous false teaching. Because if you think that you can live the Christian life passively without putting forth any effort, then you're in trouble. But that's a common view out there. Yeah. Hey, you know the gospel. You've been converted. Don't worry about it. That's nowhere on the pages of Scripture. And that's not necessarily just poor, you know, would disagree with us on a lot of different areas. I mean, that's in some some guys that hold to the sovereignty of God and salvation and hold to these uh, these these views that God is, is big and man is small, and they still have this view where eh, sanctification doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen a resurgence in the last, you know, several decades of justification by faith, which we would both applaud. I mean, justification by faith is such an important doctrine, but uh, it seems like so many in our own day have been content to stop there, that they've been made right with God. And they don't continue studying their theology and their scriptures to see that God is now making us holy like Christ as justified people. It's not something we earn, and it's not something that we can self-generate. But as we respond to God's grace in faith, the Lord is growing us in holiness. And that is hard. I mean, when Paul talks about the armor that a Christian wears, which is kind of a, a picture, an illustration of some of the means of grace that the Lord has put us at, put at our disposal— there's a reason why he's talking about spiritual battle because he recognizes the Christian life and serving the Lord is hard. Uh, and the doctrine of sanctification rightly understood recognizes that fact and recognize, recognizes that the response to the difficulty of the Christian life isn't to rely on yourself or to run away from it but instead to seek to grow in faith and dependence upon the Lord and his grace. And, uh, and, and, and that's the focus that authors like the Apostle Paul and even Peter, what I read earlier from Second Peter, uh, make every effort to do these things. And so we do uh, have a responsibility, and that responsibility does not contradict God's sovereign grace in our salvation, it magnifies God's sovereign grace. I mean, what I'm, what I'm saying and what the Scripture's teaching is not that, yeah, you better strive to finish your salvation off and earn it. No, 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 no. You better strive to honor the Lord and obey Him with the grace that He has given to you because who much is given, much is required. And He's worthy. Right. He's worthy of that. Exactly. That's a key uh, motivator in all of sanctification. 
And I think this is another common area where we get in trouble. I want to grow in my Christian life so I can be a better dad. I want to grow so I can be a better preacher. I want to grow so I can be a, a better husband. Look, those are great things. But if you're pragmatically trying to use the doctrine of sanctification to improve some area of your life that you're embarrassed about, then you have taken a radically God-centered process and turned it into a man-centered endeavor. The, the, the pinnacle of the Christian life and the, the chief motivator of the doctrine of sanctification is exactly what you said. Christ is worthy. Why, why should we put forth effort to try and grow in holiness? Because Christ is worthy of it. Now, will, will we be better husbands? Sure. But Christ is ultimately worthy. That's the chief reason. Sometimes we run away from language like duty and obedience because it's God-centered. My duty is to God and I obey God. So we like to sneak in things like I want to be satisfied in God. or I want to find victory in this area. And look, I'm not saying it's wrong to use that language or that that language is inherently uh, imperfect. It's just easily misused. If I say I, I want satisfaction in God, I can easily sneak in my desire to feel a certain way and even be satisfied in other things in God. Or if I say I want victory over a certain sin, it may mean I just want to be delivered from this now. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Whereas when I talk about glorifying God, submitting to God, obeying God, then that makes the the end point of whatever I'm in uh, the, the, the glory of God. What is victory in this moment? It's not based on how I feel. It's based on whether or not I've trusted and obeyed the Lord. And, uh, and you can't forget about that obedience. Obedience doesn't earn you anything before the Lord, but how can you say you truly have trusted the Lord in a certain area of your life if you won't obey the Lord? That's, that's the kind of thing that makes it easy for to become a hypocrite. And I'm already really good at being a hypocrite. So I'm trying to build protections in my life all over the place to, to save me from that kind of uh, uh, hypocrisy in my heart. Well, thank you, uh, Paul, for having this discussion with me. And yeah, You hit on a lot of areas there. I know. Kind of, I, I was like conversion. And then we just, I, I said just, the word assurance and you ran with it. Well, I just wanted you to, you know, get going, get comfortable and we'll just stick with it. So, well, yeah, I mean, you're a good shepherd because everybody's always asking about those issues and, and assurance and growing and, and what does that have to do with conversion? So that's, uh, those are big conversations I, I think in ministry. Too, I think too, if there wasn't so much uh, from outside the church and, and views that are unhelpful, I don't think you'd have to spend so much time on this, but I think right. uh, the Lord in his grace has, has, has revealed these truths to us. I'm grateful uh, for your ministry in that way, for how the Lord has has laid this burden of seeing the church sanctified. Really, I mean, we're, we're desiring to see people be more like Christ. And that's kind of where all your studies come from. You want to see people grow. You don't want to see people in that mentality where, you know, there's a fatalistic idea to my holiness. I just, nah, whatever, I'm just going to be holy because God's going to make me holy. Well, yeah, but you also have a part in that. And I think that's so helpful. Uh, I'm so grateful uh, for that teaching that you've been, you've been, uh, driving home. Yeah. And that's our desire. Even, even recording this, our so, desire is just to be helpful to the church in these issues, to be able to have some shepherding conversations and, and just even answer some questions 
and deal with some issues that you don't always get to thoroughly address on Sunday morning in the message as you're working through a text, uh, but just try to swing back on some of those issues so that we can make sure that people have answers and also so that we can be helpful to them in their walk with the Lord. I mean, that's that's it. Uh, Colossians one twenty eight really lays out the parameters of our ministry as elders over this body when it says that him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. And we want to be instruments in God's hands as he seeks to apply his grace in their life so that his people can not only be converted, but grow in that assurance as they mature. And that's that's the desire of our ministry. That's the desire of any faithful church's ministry. And in some small part, I don't read about podcasts in the New Testament, but in some small part, we pray that this podcast would be a means of grace towards that end. Amen. So we'll uh, close it there and uh, hopefully be back again next time.